Thank you all for leading us in worship. That was awesome. Uh, Relentless Church, good morning. Um, I'm, I'm excited to be here. Uh, for those of you who do not know me, I am Chris Jones, David Jones's older, wiser, more humble brother. Um, and I, I really am excited to be here today. Um, man, that, that worship was, was so good. And just the name of Jesus, right? The name of Jesus. We get to say the name of Jesus. And there's, there's real power in that. Um, I've got a, I'm a teacher at a um, Christian high school in Winston-Salem. And uh, we have a lot of international students. I have a, a student named Mustafa. And some of the, the kids will call him Mufasa. And they'll do the Mufasa. Ooh, right? <laughs> but you know what? Like, Jesus, like, demons really do shudder at that name. Right? right? Yes. Like, chains really do break at that name. Things really do change because of that name. We get to say the name of Jesus, not as this, this name that's out there, but as the, the personal Savior that died for us. Golly, we get to worship the name of Jesus. We, we are so blessed in ways we don't understand because there's more power in that than, than I think we probably realize. Um, I said I was excited to be here, and I am. Uh, when I was going through this and rehearsing and practicing, it's like, can I say I'm excited to come talk about anxiety and depression and mental health and struggle? Um, but I am, because this is so, so important, um, this, this topic. And, and I really do feel like, not just in this room this morning, but in this series, in your lives, everywhere you go, the people that you talk to and the people that God puts you in contact with, there are chains that need to be broken. And sometimes, lots of times, maybe most of the time, those chains, when they're on us, they feel like lead, right? They're, they're, they're heavy and they're un, unbreakable. But those chains are like paper to Jesus, that he can just rip them off of us if we will surrender. And that message needs to be the message of the church. I've served in, in several different churches, and uh, we were serving in a church um, when my wife uh, gave birth to our, our second child, my first son, Isaiah. And uh, she dealt with postpartum after that, that pregnancy. And thank God we had a, a good friend who was a PA who saw some warning signs and uh, got her what she needed help. And part of that was medicine. And she needed to take medicine to regulate things in her body that were making her miserable, right? And in preparation for this message, I was talking with my wife this week. And one of the things she remembered, my son is 18 now. She remembers 18 years ago, the shame that she felt and, and the, the thoughts that I can't let anybody at church know that I'm on medicine because that could hurt your ministry as a, as a minister. And people may not think that I'm really a Christian and it, it could be a bad look for us as a ministry couple for somebody to be on um, medication for things that they were dealing with. That's such an ungodly way of thinking. Not her, like she was right. She was absolutely right that people would have judged her for that. That's such an ungodly way uh, to think about um, the reality of what, what all of us are dealing with, right? We are all dealing with struggle, and it just, the church needs to be a place where that is embraced and not, not shamed. My, um, the school where I, I work, we have the seniors do something every year called Senior Thesis. It's a, it's a class that they have to take, and th the whole year they work on a research paper, and they get to choose anything that they want to um, write about, anything that they want to research. It, it has to be at least a 20-page research paper. Most of the kids this year were between 25 and 35 uh, pages because they got into it and there was stuff that they cared about. Uh, then they do a 10 to 15-minute um, talk in front of the whole uh, school at the end of the year. And each of them gets to present. We had 47 seniors that did that this year. 
And 11 of them chose the topic of mental health. This is a real thing. Like people are dealing with it. My, best, uh, my son's best friend, uh, Wallace Love, did uh, his on mental health and veterans. And uh, one of the things that he did that was so powerful is he said, when I started researching this, I, uh, I Googled disabled veterans. And pictures of people with obvious wounds showed up and people in wheelchairs showed up and people with uh, uh, like legs and things that had been amputated showed up. He said, but you know what didn't show up? It's people with PTSD because you can't take a picture of that. And people are, are struggling, right? And they look like they're going through life like me and you and, and they're struggling and we're struggling too probably, right? And so... There's this reality in, in every room that we enter that people are struggling, that they're going through stuff, that there's stuff going on. And God wants to give freedom in that, but we have got to, as a church, embrace the reality of struggling. And Scripture, like Phil talked about, Scripture talks about this over and over and over again, how to deal with struggle, because it's a reality. It, it, there's no way to get around it. We are going to struggle and so the Bible gives us guidance on like, how, to, how to deal with that. We're going to look at um, 2 Corinthians, the, the very beginning of 2 Corinthians, the first chapter um, this morning. And David asked me to, to come and, and speak about this because this is a, a, a section of Scripture that I've gone back to a lot. I used a lot when we were talking about uh, this when I was leading a church. Uh, we had a ton of people who were struggling outwardly. And um, it's just good to understand that there is value in our struggle. And there is. There, there, there should not be shame. There should not be embarrassment because struggle is a place where we meet Jesus. And so this is, we're going to talk about what Paul has for us in, in the midst of struggle. Uh, but, but as a church, I, I want you to embrace this idea that we, we need to embrace those who are struggling as God embraces us in, in our struggle it is so important. If the church is going to be relevant in this world, we have to be relevant in, in this area. We, we can't overlook this, this part of the reality of the world that we live in. Um, I want to share a synopsis of a little bit of my story and how this verse and these verses are things that I've come back to over and over and over again. Um, some of this you will know if you've been here for a while because it's, it's our family. And so David has, I think, shared some of it. Um, my wife and I moved from Kentucky to Winston-Salem, which is my hometown, to start a church in 2009. We spent um, a year and a half helping a friend start a church in Greensboro, training and learning, knowing that the plan was for us to start something in, in Winston. During that time of training uh, is when my, my father was diagnosed with uh, kidney cancer. And so uh, a lot of the time leading up to the launch of the church was, was spent in doctor's appointments and hospital visits and helping at the house and doing all that, that kind of stuff. If you've walked through end-of-life uh, situations with people, uh, you understand all that. Um, he, my, my father passed away a couple months into the life of uh, the church that we started. And uh, so the first couple months, there was you know, the anticipation of that and then the, the reality of that and, and dealing with the aftermath of that. Um, in the middle of, or in the midst of the aftermath, um, I, my wife and I had moved from Indiana um, well, we moved from Indiana to Kentucky. I said that early. And then we moved to North Carolina. We, we still owned a house in Indiana. And uh, it w had been a rental thing. We couldn't sell it. We were underwater on it. So we sold it. Or we couldn't sell it. So we had rented it. And it was enough to cover the mortgage. And, and most months get a little extra. It was a nice little blessing. Not anything huge. But uh, it, was, it was overall a good thing. 
Well, a month or so after my dad passed, I got my monthly mortgage statement, and there was a computer error. And um, instead of charging me $40 for one of the fees that they put in there, it was $4,000. So obviously, not paying that, right? So I called the bank. Oh, we're so sorry, Mr. Jones. That was an error. We'll fix that. Great. The next month, same thing. I call back. Can I talk to so-and-so? He's no longer with us, uh, but I can take care of this. Great. This should be 40, not 4,000. All right, great. We'll take care of that. Eight months. For eight months, that, that went on and kept going and kept going. There were weeks that I spent like 20 hours on the phone with the bank trying to get this fixed. Um, it was ridiculous. And that wasn't quite resolved yet. And my, my mom got sick. And um, there were lots of, uh, several times she would call me and say, you know, I can't breathe. Can you take me to the doctor in the middle of the night? And so we go through that and we're trying to figure out what's going on. She ends up is diagnosed with um, uh, lung cancer. Can I make a joke in the middle of a lung cancer diagnosis? Um, is that allowed? It's about your mom. You, do you allow it? Okay. No, so <laughs> we're, sending the, uh, we're sending the ER, right? They've done all these tests for months, and the ER doctor says, why has nobody done this test? So they do this test real quick. They come back literally in like 20 minutes and say, it's, it's bad news. Um, it's lung cancer. So she starts asking all these questions about my, wife, or my mom's medical history. Uh, have you ever drank? Uh, yes. When did you stop when I was pregnant with my second child? I'm, I'm, I'm the first child. Um, have you ever smoked? Yes. When did you stop when I was pregnant with my second child? It's like, Mom, you, you drank and smoked while you were pregnant with me? We didn't know any better back then. So I told her, like, if, if I'd known that, I would, every time I got a bad report card, I would have said, well, of course, you drank and smoked with me, right? So if I'm ever a little off, I'm just going to blame it on that, all right? If, if, if I say anything I shouldn't, that's, that's why, all right? Um, no, so in the, in the um, midst of everything else, we're, we're dealing with this diagnosis um, from my mom, and so then now we're walking through that, and it, it um, ends up, she lives for a couple years, and she passes away. During the time that she was, um, towards the end of her life, my wife got pregnant with our third child. Uh, this year I have a, a senior in high school and a kindergartner. Um, we just figured life wasn't exciting enough, so we, we'd have another child. So after um, mom's, uh, mom passes, and one of the things, one of the great blessings in life is that both my parents love Jesus. Um, gosh, it was, with all the other stuff you deal with in the midst of that, I have no doubt that I'm going to see them again and that they were with Jesus. Uh, that is such a blessing um, to know that. So after, after she passes and we're dealing with that, um, we go to a, what was going to be a normal uh, visit with the doctor, we thought. And it was one of those, well, hey, can you go into this room and we'll be right back? They weren't right back. It was, we were sitting there waiting. What in the world is going on? Um, it took several other doctor's appointments over the course of a, a couple weeks to find out that um, my uh, little child in my wife's womb had what's called CDH. It's a diaphragmatic hernia that uh, the, the diaphragm doesn't completely close and things that should be down go up and things that should be up can go down. And the baby's completely healthy as long as it's in uh, the womb because the mother is, is breathing for it. But there is um, a, a high um, degree of likelihood that there are going to be serious problems when it uh, has to breathe on its own. And so we had a plan for when, when uh, Zeke was born. Uh, he was going to be put in an ambulance and taken immediately to uh, a children's hospital. We knew all that. We, we got through that. We were there for, for five weeks, but he got to come home. And I remember we had grown close to one of the 
um, the nurses that took care of Zeke in the NICU. And I remember when we were getting ready to go home, we were kind of through the hardest parts of that and saying, hey, do you, now that we're through that, like how close to being really bad was this? And she got kind of teary-eyed and said, just don't, don't ask that, Chris. Just, just thank God that you get to take your little boy home. And I was, that's where I was. All right, I don't need to know those details. I'm gonna take my little boy home and we're gonna celebrate. And so we took him home and we celebrated and it was great to have him in the house. He was on oxygen and some different things, but we could hold him and he, we didn't have to go to any more hospitals. It was great. And then I, I noticed a bump on his back um, a week or two after that. And uh, so we went back to the doctor and he was diagnosed with uh, pretty severe infant scoliosis, uh, which he has walked through, like there's all kinds of stuff going on with that. And God continues to be, um, amazingly gracious in that. Um, and so after that diagnosis, I was um, you know, still leading a church. And uh, during that five weeks in the hospital, obviously we didn't do much with church, right? And we had some people that stepped up. We also had a couple that, um, that really felt like God was calling them to make extremely drastic changes while we weren't there that they knew that we wouldn't be on board with. And so I came back into the church with a lot of drama and a lot of like tension, it was, it was palpable. And, and so I'm dealing with that. And I remember going, not long after that, I went to a, a minister's retreat with a group of church planners, right? People who can identify with me. And the guy who led our network knew me. He knew like about my dad and he knew about my mom and he knew about uh, the stuff with Zeke. And uh, he was asking me like, how are things going? So I gave him an update and uh, he looked at me and said, well, you know, Chris, we all deal with stuff. You just got to suck it up and do what God wants you to. Oh, okay, I guess. And I'm like, what do you say to that, right? Like, I'm going to go get something to eat. Or I'm like, I'm not continuing this conversation. Um, so I, I had that conversation. About the same time, like a week or two after that, we were, um, both my parents were in hospice and, and people who go through hospice care, uh, the families get a lot of awesome uh, benefits, uh, health, uh, like counseling and stuff like that. And we had noticed that my son Isaiah just was beginning to get quiet and let's make sure that he's processing this well. So we went and sat down with a hospice grief counselor and um, she said, so what brings you in today? And so I kind of explained what I just explained to you all. And um, I remember very, very vividly like where I was sitting and how she responded. Uh, she was wearing glasses. She took her glasses off and put them down. She was writing on a, a notepad as I was talking about what was going on. And she took her pen and she set it down and she like leaned in and she said, I need you to hear me say this. What you just described is extreme. I deal with grief every day. I'm a grief counselor. What you just described is not normal. And I said, really? Because I thought everybody just dealt with stuff. And I really did. Like I didn't, I, until she said that, I didn't think that what I was dealing with was was significantly different than what other people deal with. And so she, she said, I, no, it is. It is, and I'm so glad that you were here. I am so glad that you were taking these steps to make sure that you and your family are healthy because there is a lot going on. And so my son got to meet with her for uh, several weeks, and it was, a, it was a wonderful thing for him. I had a grief counselor that I met with for several months who gave me permission to, to mourn and to grieve and to not be okay all the time, and it was the healthiest thing in the world for me at that time. But there's two, the same story, right? And two very different reactions. One gave me permission to, 
to live in the moment that I was in and gave me permission to not be ashamed and to ask for help and to not be seen as weak. And one, you know, had a different reaction, right? I don't, I don't want to talk to you about this anymore. Church, it is so important that we model the second reaction, that we see people where they are, that we care about them where they are and give them permission to deal with the things that they are dealing with because the world is difficult. There's no way we can get around that. There's all these things on TV, right? There's all these things in your life. There's all these things on the internet that say, hey, just do this and you'll be happy. And we see other people who are, who are posing and pretending to be happy and, you, and we think, oh, if I could just be like them, then I would be happy. It's all a lie. There's not gonna be happiness all the time. It's not possible for you to be happy all the time. We deal with stuff because we are human. But my friend was right. Everybody does deal with stuff. That part of what he said was right. The application, um, I would critique a little bit, but the reality of that moment is everybody does deal with stuff. Everybody in here is dealing with stuff. Everybody in here is dealing with something. You may not know that you're dealing with it because you're trying to lie to yourself and say, I'm, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. You may be in the most trouble of all, but everybody in here is dealing with something. And there's no reason for us to rank like this is more severe than what this person is dealing with because what you are dealing with is real to you. And here's the truth that I, I want you to understand. Jesus cares deeply about what you are dealing with. Jesus cares deeply about whatever it is that you are dealing with, whether it's anxiety or depression or just mental health in general, where there is just struggle, whether it's questions or doubts, whatever it is, Jesus cares deeply about what you are dealing with. Let's, um, well, let me say this. There is a temptation sometimes when, we, um, when we're dealing with difficult topics to make Jesus the fixer. And so I want to be clear that what I'm talking about today is not a solution to anxiety. It's not a solution to depression or mental health or uh, whatever struggle that you are going through. It is God being present in whatever you are going through. That God wants to be in that with you. You may still deal with it, but you can deal with it with God. You can deal with it with the power of the name of Jesus that allows you to deal with what you are dealing with. It doesn't make it fun. It won't make you happy, but it does uh, connect us to the power that created the whole universe and loves you individually. So let's look at um, 1 Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Um, these are starting in verse 3. These are Paul's words to the uh, Corinthians. I'm going to read through all of this, and then we'll come back and uh, kind of dissect it. Paul says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. 
We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. But this happened, that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God, who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us again. On him we have set our hope, that he will continue to deliver us. So let me give you a little bit of background on the the Corinthian church. The Corinthian church was a little bit different than most of the churches that Paul wrote letters to. A lot of the churches that that Paul wrote letters to and that we have in the New Testament were people that were struggling. Uh, They were struggling because of uh, economic issues, poverty. They were struggling because of famine. They were struggling because they were being persecuted for their faith. They were struggling because uh, the places and the, the things that they were dealing with in their context made it very difficult to be a follower of Jesus. The Corinthian church was not really struggling. So it's interesting that he is writing a letter uh, to the Corinthians and starting out by talking about struggle and God's comfort in the midst of struggle. And the reason is because the, re- the reason that the Corinthians were not really struggling is because they weren't really living any differently than the, the culture around them. There was a very blurry line between the Corinthian Christians and the non-Christian culture in which they found themselves. They all got along, right? Everything's fine because there was no real difference in the way that they lived their lives. They believed different things, but they didn't live significantly different than the world around them. In fact, the Corinthian church, most scholars think that the Corinthian church was kind of embarrassed by Paul, which is really interesting because he's not trying to apologize for anything. The reason that they were embarrassed is because Paul suffered. Paul got arrested and he got put in jail and he got beat and he had scars on his body and he got shipwrecked and he went without food and he had to ask people for support so that he could do what God was asking them. And the Corinthian church was kind of saying, Paul, wait a minute, where is this God that you're talking about? This, the power of God, why is this powerful God allowing you to deal with all of this stuff? If God is so powerful and God loves you so much, why do you have scars on your body because you were beaten? Why do you not have money in your pocket? Why do you not have food to eat? And Paul wants them to understand that that that's not success, that 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 is not what the power of God is about. The power of God is about something much more significant than that. One of my favorite preachers is Derwin Gray, Transformation Church outside of Charlotte, North Carolina. I'm sure some of you have heard David talk about that or are familiar with him. One of my favorite quotes from him is that if we want to know that God loves us, do not look at the circumstances of your life. Look at the cross. Your circumstances, my circumstances will lie to us. And they will say, hey, God doesn't love you because you're dealing with this. And this isn't working because look what you're, you're going through. If this, was, if this was good, then this would all be working out. But it must not be good because your circumstances aren't good. But what... What Derwin says is so right, that we can't look at our circumstances to see the love of God. We have to look at the cross. That name, Jesus, the name that was on the throne in heaven and said, I love them so much that I'm going to leave heaven and I'm going to go down there and I'm going to live like them. I'm going to deal with the things that they deal with. And then I'm going to get on the cross and I'm going I'm to die the death that I should have died. Jesus died the death that I should have died. 
and my sins, every time that I'm, I'm a knucklehead and I do something that's stupid, I put those sins on Jesus, and those sins on the cross separated Jesus, the Son of God, from his Father because God couldn't look upon his sin. And he went to the grave with those sins and with scars and wounds that, were, that should have been mine. And he stayed there for a little bit. And then he rose. And he conquered that death. Those chains of death are broken. Death has nothing on Jesus. Those chains are obliterated. Not just broken, they're dust. They're gone. And we don't have to have those chains. Jesus has already paid the price. If that is God loving us. If you wonder, does God love you? Yes, he died for you. He lived on this world for you. He raised from the dead so that we could be with God. Jesus shows his love in his sacrifice for us. That is what, how we know that God loves us. So here, here's what um, Paul says. Um, Praise be to God the Father, to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our troubles. God comforts us in our troubles. Church, it is dadgum time. And I said dadgum time. I'm going full Roy Williams because I want you to understand how important this is, all right? It is dadgum time for the church to be a church of comfort. It is time for us to show the attributes of God to the world around us by being people of comfort and not people of judgment, not people of shame. We have a calling to show people that God is a God of comfort by being a community of comfort where people can come in with problems, right? If I was preaching to everybody without problems today, I wouldn't even be here and these seats would be empty. We all have problems and we have to be a a, a people, a community that are known for loving people in the midst of problems because God is a God who loves us in the midst of our problems. If we are not being a people of comfort, we are not being a people of God because God is a God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our troubles so that, listen to this, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. You know what that means? Is if you haven't gone through anything, you can't help people go through anything, right? I'm sure that you have have had somebody, when you were going through something, Uh, Somebody who had no idea what you were dealing with because they never dealt with anything like that before in their lives come up and try to give you advice, right? And in those moments, the the Holy Spirit kind of wells up in us and just causes us to want to punch them in the face, (laughs) right? Because it's aggravating when people don't understand what we're going through and they try to speak into that. What do you know? We can help people when we go through stuff, right? When we depend on God in the midst of struggle, then we can help other people depend on God. That's that's what God is about. And it is so beautiful. This church is so beautiful and so powerful because you all have already embraced that we're all unique, right? I can look around the room and I can see all the different demographics. We got old and young and different ethnicities and all the differences that that constitute Raleigh are are in this church. And so y'all, there's all these different things that can be used to comfort everybody. If you're dealing with something, somebody probably has gone through something similar, right? There, there's all of these people that come together that are strength for us to be a community that 
that where God comforts us through our relationships with people. That's so important. So the next, um, the next group of verses, I'm going to go through this a little bit quicker. Um, this is like, if I was an English teacher, we would probably grade Paul down right here because it's kind of a run-on sentence and it kind of gets confusing. But he uses a couple words there. First of all, he says, it is for your comfort and salvation. Um, unfortunately, that, that comfort is not the nice, warm, fluffy word that, that we may think that it is. Um, this does not mean sitting in front of your, um, in front of your TV with a bowl of snacks, right, watching the, the kings beat the warriors today. That's, that's not the comfort that God wants. Um, good, y'all, y'all are the more holy group. The first service didn't laugh at that. Y'all, y'all, are, y'all are closer to God, I can tell. Um, no, it's, it's not like a, this comfort of just every, there's nothing stressing me. This comfort, and you, you may not enjoy hearing this, this comfort is a strengthening. That you're in the midst of something hard and God is going to give us the ability not to get out of something hard, but to live in something difficult. He, he gives us comfort. And it's never going to come from us, all right? The answer to whatever you're dealing with is not inside of you. No matter what, you know, Tony Robbins and all those people tell you, the answer for what you're dealing with is Jesus. God gives us comfort to be able to deal with difficult things. The other word that he uses there um, is endurance. It produces, our comfort produces patient endurance. I do not like this this verse. Um, I'm not a patient person. And endurance implies that you gotta keep going, right? It's gonna take some time. I don't want it to take time. I wanna get there now. What he's talking about when he says endurance is the specific kind of endurance where you are waiting on somebody to show up. In this context, it is talking about waiting on God to show up. Phil talked about that in his, his little testimony, which I think we can all identify with that. God, where are you? God, I've been praying. God, I've been praising. I've been going to church. I've been reading my Bible. I've been staying the course. Where are you? He's there. I promise he's there, but sometimes it feels like it's taking a while for us to feel his presence. And that's where God gives us the endurance to make it through those difficult times, what, whatever um, they may be. There's something that um, I think that we have to understand. Grace is a, a core concept within the church. If, to understand the gospel, we have to understand grace. Because the gospel is that I wasn't enough. I couldn't save myself. I couldn't die for myself and show up to heaven and say, God, here I am. I, I'm good now, right? We're not enough in and of ourselves to walk into the holiness of God. And so God had to come down and, and bridge the gap between our brokenness and his holiness. That's the gospel. We cannot tell the story of the gospel through our victories. The gospel, because it is a story of grace, has to be told through the story of our mess-ups, our brokenness, our struggle, and our dependence upon God in that struggle. To tell the story of grace, we have to own our struggle. And if we are telling the story of Jesus to the world around us through our victories, we're not telling the, the, the true story. 
Because the story is Jesus' victory and our dependence upon him. And so we have to, to tell the, the, the world the gospel, we have to own our brokenness. Um, if you'll throw those uh, other graphics up there, this is an illustration that I use. Um, I hired a, a very high-priced um, artist to, to make this for me. This is us, right? This is in life, and you're walking along, you got a smile on your face, a great haircut, and uh, life, is, life is good. First service didn't laugh at that one either. See, I, I, I knew I liked y'all. But then this happens, right? Life, there's dips, there's valleys. It's not ever going to be perfect. It's not ever going to be perfect. It's not ever going to be perfect. It's not because you did anything wrong. It's not because you made a mistake. It's, life is not perfect. There are going to be dips and valleys. And so we get into the dips and valleys because, that's, because we're human. And so we're walking along and something happens as we go through the valley and we come out the other side and there is going to be a day where, where we get to smile again. But it's normally in the midst of the valley that we find Jesus. Even if you are a believer, even if you are walking closely with God right now, there is a dependence that you find in Jesus in the midst of struggle that you just don't get anywhere else. I have a, a student that um, has gone to um, our school for three years. We have a lot of um, high-level excuse me, a lot of high-level basketball players at our school. He came to us three years ago after his eighth grade year, so he started as a freshman. He's not played a basketball game for our school yet. He had multiple uh, high-major D1 offers um, coming into high school. He's torn his ACL in both knees um, since he's been there. One of them was uh, multiple broken bones, and it was, it was a lot to deal with. As soon as he got back this year, before the season started, he tore his other ACL. And so I was talking with him uh, a couple weeks ago, and he said, you know, Mr. Jones, I really feel like God had a plan for this. And uh, I, I really feel like because of what I've gone through, I, I, I found God again, and I found my relationship with God again, I found my faith again in a way that I don't think I would have done if I didn't have to go through this. And I asked him, so if I had told you that God has a plan for this a couple days after you, you tore your ACL, what would your reaction have been? He said, I would have wanted to hit you because there's no way I was hearing that then. This is horrible. This is the worst thing. God has abandoned me. God isn't real. God doesn't love me. But then I started going through it. And it was, he said it was in the depths of that struggle that he found his relationship with Jesus again. That, that's what happens, right? We go through the valley and, and we find Jesus and we come out and look, yeah, I know in this room, there's people that are praying for stuff, right? There's people that are praying, God, please do this thing. God, please deliver me from this thing. God, heal this person. I pray all the time for, for me to wake up in the morning and for my son Zeke, for all the metal in his back to have just disappeared miraculously and his spine to be straight. And I'm going to keep praying that. It hadn't happened yet, right? And so we're praying for stuff and there's going to be some resolution at some point. We're going to get to some resolution. But here's what happens. If you will surrender, if you will really surrender to Jesus in the midst of your struggle, when you get back over here, you're not going to be talking about the, the deliverance. You're not going to be talking about the healing. You're not going to be talking about whatever changed in your physical circumstances. You're going to be talking about Jesus, right? I went through this valley because of this issue, but I, but I met Jesus and that's what matters. It's Jesus. All the things that you're struggling with, Jesus is the answer 
right? All the things that the enemy is trying to pull you away, he's not trying to pull you away from a, a promotion at, at work. He's not trying to pull you away from enjoying this or doing this or whatever. He's trying to pull you away from Jesus. And when we go through struggle, if we will find and surrender to Jesus, we will, we will be grateful. That's crazy to say, but we will be grateful for whatever it is that we're dealing with. But, but here's what happens um, too often as Christians is we get over here and we get happy and then we see somebody else who's going through something similar and we go back and we try to build a bridge for them to get them over the valley. And say, here, listen to what I'm, this is how, what I did. This is how God helped me. And the reality is if somebody just lost their job, you telling them the story about how you lost your job and got a better one doesn't make them feel better, Right? If uh, young people, if your parents are, are fighting at home and another kid says, hey, this is how it worked out for me, they don't care how it worked out for you. I'm not trying to be rude. They, just, they don't care because they're dealing with something. And what we do when we build this bridge is we, we build a bridge over Jesus and we're trying to take the place of Jesus instead of just letting them meet Jesus in the midst of that struggle. And instead of building bridges, we need to just get down in the valley with people and let them meet Jesus and love them. And you may say, but, but they're in the valley because they're making stupid choices. Yeah, they are, right, because we need Jesus. And we make stupid choices too. And when we make stupid choices, we're gonna want somebody to get down there in the valley with us. This is what the church is, is we walk through the valley with each other. Not to, not to just fix the physical and mental and emotional and spiritual things that we're dealing with, but to find the savior of the world that loves us that wants to give us comfort and wants to make us whole again. One of my favorite stories um, is Francis Chan, um, who's a preacher who has traveled all over the world. He got to interview some Chinese pastors who had been in prison. And um, they had been in prison for months. And uh, their story is that most every day their, their captors would say, you know, more than likely we're going to kill you tomorrow. Uh, apparently their captors had watched the, the Princess Bride. Uh, enjoy your sleep. Most likely I'll kill you tomorrow. Right? And they lived through this, this, this threat of death hanging over them every, every day. So there was some political pressure and different things. They ended up releasing all these pastors. And uh, months after they're released, they get to meet with Francis Chan and he's talking to them. And, um, he tells a story that in that meeting, every one of those pastors said, I don't want to go back into captivity, but I miss the connection I had with Jesus because I was so dead. I didn't have anything else. I miss the, the way that I desperately clung to Jesus in those moments. And I keep trying to get that back on this side of captivity, but I, I just can't because there is something about struggle that, that drives us to Jesus. And that's not a bad thing. That, that, that's a beautiful thing. And we as a church need to be a place where people in struggle can be bold and open and unashamed and a, a allow themselves to be ushered into the presence of Jesus, who is the only one who has those answers. The world outside needs Jesus. And we can come up with all these theories and all these things where if you do this and you make this decision and you do this, that's all great. They need Jesus. And they're struggling. And we have the answer. 
struggle is a, it, it, there's tremendous value in the valley because it's, it's those moments that we find Jesus. I, uh, I have this shirt because um, I'm around teenagers all the time and these teenagers just want to be happy. They just want to be happy. And they're buying all these lies about what will make them happy. And it's not ever going to work. We're always going to have struggle. But it, it doesn't matter. Our circumstances don't limit our ability to be holy. Yeah. Now, we're not going to be holy like God. But in every circumstance, I can't be happy all the time, but I can always chase God and try to be holy. I can always pursue holiness from wherever I am. And so God, whatever you're dealing with, whatever your struggle is, you may not be happy and you may not be happy tomorrow, but there's a holy God who loves you and is, is, is dying for you to connect with him. It wants you to surrender to him so that he can bring comfort to you. He can give you the strength that you need and he can give you the ability to endure what you are dealing with now. And then on the other side of that, he's gonna give you the power to, to give that gift to somebody else. That's what the church is designed to be. In Romans 8, 28, um, it says, and you probably have I've heard this verse before, uh, we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. So first of all, there's a qualifier on this for those who love God. So if you're here today and you have not surrendered to God, um, then you are working for your own good. Like you have not allowed God to be in charge of what will be good in your life. And it's not gonna work out well for you. God knows better than you do what is good for you. And when you surrender, it says for those of us who love God, that in all things, God works for the good. That doesn't mean that God causes things to happen. It means that there is nothing that Satan can throw at you that God can't turn to good. There's nothing that, that Satan can put in front of you to, to try to trip you up that God can't then turn into a blessing for you. In all things, God works for the good. So whatever you're dealing with, believe and know that God is working for the good. In all things, what you are stressed about right now, what you're praying about right now, what you are upset about right now, God is working for your good. Let's pray for that. Father God, I, uh, I mean, you are holy and we do not even come close to approaching your holiness, but Lord, through the, through the death of your son, we, we can be seen as pure in your eyes. And we can chase and pursue holiness. And, and there is, you have opened this door where we can come close to you without fear and without shame. And so, Lord, I pray right now that all the, the chains and all the things and all the struggles that are keeping people from pursuing you, Lord, would just be obliterated. I pray, Lord, that uh, everybody in this room would know and believe that you are a God of comfort and that you are a God of power. And that while we may not ever be able to get completely away from struggle, we can always pursue you, Lord. I, I pray uh, that, that people will take that step towards you, that they'll stop trying to fix things themselves, that they'll stop trying to hide the things 
uh, that are keeping them from you and that they, will, that they will reach out to you and that they will reach out to brothers and sisters who can help them pursue a holy God that loves them. God, thank you for loving us despite our shortcomings. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for being a God that loves us where we are. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.